0: Glory, their, their, the creation purpose to 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 display the glory of God. So tonight, as we kind of bring things down, I wanted to come to the the finale, come to the, the the end thought, maybe even the end vision of what it all is, and I wanted to look at Revelation chapter twelve. So you can go ahead and open your Bibles if you have them to Revelation chapter twelve. We've been talking all week about our set apartness. Of being set apart as God was set apart from all of the things that He made, He has called us because He is holy. He's called us to be holy, set apart to Him. And tonight we see the greatest reason for that, because of the victory that we have. This is a short little chapter in Revelation. It kind of stands on its own. It's almost uh, a transition uh, chapter between the first half of Revelation to the second half of, tra- of Revelation, and and in it. In this brief little chapter, it kind of gives a synopsis or a summary of of all of time from the beginning and from uh the fall all the way to the restoration with Christ coming in judgment and it and it gives us this broad, beautiful picture of all of these things, the sweeping account of history embracing all of human history and that 's what we're we 're going to look at this this recap john 's revelation it 's It comes to us, what we see in this particular part as well is that ongoing battle of the ages between God and the forces of Satan and the forces of evil and how how that has been going on from from the get-go and what John brings out in this is the at least five defeats of Satan, how he is defeated, how he is defeated. So more than anything else, we can say we're victorious. Right, we are victorious. God is victorious, and He brings about His will. Now, I want you to stay in Revelation chapter twelve. I know I told you that that's where we're going to be, and it is. But I want to set the context by reading first uh, Genesis chapter three, verses fourteen through sixteen, just to remind us of where we've come from since the beginning of the week. So, the Lord God said to the serpent, "This is in the garden. Because you have done this." Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust shall be, shall, you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He, he goes to the singular there, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for letting us come to this point of of seeing the whole scope of your redemption purposes, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So now let's go ahead and move on to Revelation chapter 12. As we look at that, so I'm coming into Revelation. I am not a dogmatic preacher in Revelation. It is beyond me and and my meager amount of intellect. It's just it's one of those books that just captivates. It's great, but it's so far beyond anything that I understand. There's so much truth in there, and it it's a worthy book to study and read. But it leaves me baffled so often. So I'm not dogmatic about anything. I'm not going to try to come in here and, and push any certain view or any kind of thing like that. We're looking at Revelation 12 tonight because I wanted to cap off. I want us to see the full scope from where it started in God's original creation purposes to where he brings it back and he restores it. And to where we are, the recreated beings Uh, in the end, the end vision, what it looks like in the end. So that's kind of where I want us to go tonight. Um, Revelation chapter 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 6, 1 through 6. So let's start to walk through that text. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed I guess I need to read it from this because I won't, <laughs> I won't forward along with the slides. So let me do that. I'm sorry. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Paul's right there. Do you see the relationship? To Genesis chapter 3. Okay. All right. She was pregnant. She was crying out with birth pains and agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. And on his head, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she has a place prepared by God, in which she is to be nourished for 1260 days. So as we... Look at this full of, of imagery and, and pictures. Chapter 12 starts out with this great sign, this, this woman who, this, who is pregnant. John sees this vision of the end times, but he's seeing the vision of the beginning times as well as this, this, this story, this symbol carries the profound meaning of the sweeping of history. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon and twelve stars. Now, there's lots of symbolism in here. The twelve stars, we, we kind of see that it, it it has that picture of the twelve tribes. We see a dual symbolism in here because it's the covenant community, the twelve tribes, but then also it encompasses not only the people of Israel which we, 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 we see that parallel in Hosea. Hosea chapter two tells us that, the parallel that, that Israel is God's wife, just as Hosea had a wife and went after his wife. He was commanded by God to do so his whole life, being a prophecy about what God was doing with his unfaithful wife, which was Israel. And, and yet we also see this dual symbolism of the church, this idea of the people of God. So from the people of Israel came the Messiah, the, the seed of Eve, the virgin birth, the line of Judah, all of these things. The sun and the moon that, that are wrapped around her are kind of representing God's favor, but it also gives us a picture of light. And uh, it represents God's favor, his protection, his, his providence and protection over them. Uh, twelve stars representing the twelve tribes and also the twelve apostles. The crown representing victory. Through all the the ages, God has protected her against Satan's attacks. And then we see the dragon, who is obviously Satan, reaching out to devour the baby that's coming from the woman. Now, this is something that it it just goes throughout all of history. It points to the entire scope of the Old Testament, leading all the way up to the birth of the Savior. And uh, as we saw, the woman was uh, clothed in light. And that's kind of a picture as we see this this dual symbolism of, of Israel, and then also the church, and, and, and this clothing of, of light, it points us to the idea of the fact that we are called to be a light, that the covenant community of God is called to be a light unto the nations, and then the church is to be a light unto the nations. So the first thing I wanted us to notice that tonight was that we're set apart, we're called to that set apartness, as a light to the nations. We've seen that all week. And this is something that John John himself was kind of enamored with this picture of light. He loved the imagery of light. He, he heard it from the Messiah himself in John chapter eight, verse twelve. He said, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That so influenced John that later when he was inspired to write his first epistle, 1 John, he writes this in 1 John 5-7. through This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, so we see that picture of of the light and that idea that we are called to be the light. We see the dragon; he has complete power on the earth. When when Adam fell uh, through his sin, the devil took authority as the prince of this world, the, the prince of this creation. He we gave him that authority that God had given us, and he took dominion over and enslaved in, into sin. So we see that, and uh, he, he holds that authority. We see that every day as we see the way the governments are controlled, the way that they are seeking to devour us and to devour Christianity. And as as John was writing this in the midst of a culture where, where Nero and all of the Rome's powers were coming to force upon the church, they knew all too well what it was like to be, under attack and under the oppression of Satan, and they saw it coming in Rome. So we see the evidence of this all around us today as well. Verse 4 goes on, Most believe that the stars that were swept away by the by the tail of Satan was the angels, his angels, his his evil angels who he swept away. The serpent obviously revealed as the one who's worked throughout history to destroy the child that would be born. And it started with Cain and Abel. Satan began immediately trying to destroy the line of a promised seed that would crush his head. He was always striking at the heel. Not only in Cain and Abel, we also see it further on. We see it with Pharaoh drowning all the Hebrew babies he could, right? He was trying to destroy them. Pharaoh did this, trying to destroy the children Of promise because Satan was leading that charge. We see that with King Saul trying to pin David to the wall. We see it with Haman's plot as Haman wanted to have a genocide of the Jewish people and God worked through Esther and brought about a redemption uh, for, for them. It rescued them. We saw it in Herod's genocide as he tried to destroy the promised Messiah and tried to kill all of those young boys. So always the dragon has been there trying to destroy the seed before he could ever be born. Fulfilling this idea, the promise of the enmity between the serpent and Eve and their offspring and all of these things. Then John continues in verse 5 with the birth of the promised Messiah. And then he goes quickly to the ascension of this one to heaven's throne. And all of that to the defeat of everything that Satan is trying to do. Satan was trying to 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 snuff him out but the child was born and the child rules and he is ascended to God's presence so we see all that in there verse 6 John shows that Satan then turns his attacks toward the people of God he turns his attacks onto them but again to no avail because God protects his church who's kind of pictured in the woman who flees to the wilderness a picture of God's providential protective care his hand over her and and over his church he promises that he will protect we see that kind of reminding us of God's provision to Israel for 40 years how he protected them how he provided for them as they were in the wilderness in this same picture and image of the woman being in the wilderness we see it even further as Elijah flees to the wilderness we're reminded of it by John the Baptist who went to the wilderness we saw Jesus had his time in the wilderness and God provided he he ministered to him through his angels we even see Paul Uh, we know that Paul had his time for three years in the desert in the wilderness and uh, God protected and provided and carried him through and we see our churches in a wilderness of a world where we are aliens And he is protecting and always providing. Then the church under his protection, but verses five and six kind of introduce the next segment of history and the battle that takes place in heaven when Jesus ascends to the throne and and the devil and his angels are defeated. They're kicked out of heaven forever. And uh, before they were kicked out, before he is thrown out, which we're about to read about in verses seven and following, um, he had access to God. He had access to be an accuser of us. So he, that was his job. We, we kind of see that in, in Job. We have that picture of that in Job as he came to God and he reported and he made accusations against Job. He is the accuser, but then Christ defeats him and he, he no longer has the right to accuse us to God because who is our mediator? Jesus He stands as our mediator. So he no longer has the right to make accusations to God because we're covered by the blood, right? That's a great victory that we see in here. But now where is he? He's here. So he's accusing our consciences. Rather than accusing to God, he's accusing our consciences. He's still trying to devour. He's still trying to destroy. But what we see is that we're set apart to freedom from the accuser. And we have to remember that, we have to remind ourselves that one of the great things, and I've heard it so many different ways, I hardly know how Martin Luther actually quoted it or if he even did, but he said something to the lines of, we have to remember the gospel every day or we'll forget the gospel every day. And he probably said it in German, so it probably sounded different anyway, but he said something like that, I'm sure. We have to remember the gospel every day or we will forget it every day. And that's so important for us to remember, so important as we think about our role of being a reflection of God's glory, because every day the accuser, the liar, the father of lies is going to tell us lies. He's going to try to convince us that we don't know enough to tell somebody else the truth, that we're not good enough to tell somebody else the truth, or that maybe we don't even know the truth, and he's going to try to bend it. So every single day we must remind ourselves of the gospel and bask in the gospel, abide in the gospel because that will remind us as we walk throughout the day and face the accuser and listen to and, and, and hear his lies. Don't listen to him, as we hear his lies, that we can then immediately hold the truth up and say, Look, you can't accuse me in heaven because the Jesus is my mediator, and guess what? The gospel is here with the truth, to break through all of the lies. So we see this, that we are set apart from, um, we're set apart in freedom from accusation. Now, all the verses that I just talked about, we're gonna read. <laughs> now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for, him in, for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down and the ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives, even unto death. So my next point, and we're going to get back to that verse because I want to read that verse again. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. We are set apart to freedom from the accuser. And that's a great blessing that we have. That's our victory. But we're also set apart by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That passage that we just read. And they have conquered Him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. So we have the accuser now here accusing us, telling us lies. We live in a world as aliens surrounded by a world of lies. And we remember that the gospel We have to remember it every single day or we'll forget it. Why do we have to remember it? Because it's the gospel, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony that overcomes him. And it's by grounding ourselves in the gospel that we will be strong enough in him, in him by his power to not care about our lives any more. That is a powerful verse. That they loved not their lives even unto death. And Mickey and I were talking earlier this afternoon as we were riding around that, you know, a lot of us in here, if somebody, Lord forbid, came in this room with a gun and said, deny Christ or die, I would imagine pretty much every single one of us would say, Christ is my Lord. Do what you must. And we would be willing to die. Because we know that God has promised us eternity with Him, and we know we to live as Christ, to die as gain. But where the rubber meets the road, where the hard place is, is loving our life more than anything else. Loving our comforts, loving our routines, loving the things that we just enjoy. And if we had to give those things up would be we would be would we be willing to do it I mean I'll be honest and say it would be a struggle it would be a struggle, I think for all of us when the rubber meets the road, we have to be ready to give up our lives that means the comforts, the things that we hold so dearly to, if it means that we are going to be representing him by our testimony the word of our testimony because the blood of the lamb has saved us Jesus is our victory song he's our he's our victory and what we see here as well on on the word of our testimony I just couldn't help but think about last night and thinking about the verse in Ephesians 2 10 we are his poem he is telling his story through us So we have overcome the accuser but we've also set out the story of salvation through the poem of our lives and that's what he's called us to do. So we've overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony for we must not love our lives even unto death we must be willing to go. They overcame him because they were faithfully devoted to Christ. And it gives the idea of an ongoing testimony as well. It's not something that was just given once, but it is something that is continually ongoing, a testimony that never stops. They were faithful no matter what was going on around them. And they loved not their lives even unto death. What is our priority? Is it the mission of our God that he would be glorified and, and reflected in our lives? Or is it the comforts and the things that we have? Often that's our downfall. We are also set apart to his protection, provision, and victory. And the church has promised this. We're promised this protection and victory. That, that's a, I don't know if you realize the magnitude of that kind of promise. We, we don't have to have fear as we go out and proclaim the truth because we're promised he's going to go with us and he's going to declare it for us and he's going to protect us. Now, that doesn't mean that we're never going to have difficulties. But he promises he's going to be with us. There's no other promise on earth that is, gives absolute victory. No other promise on earth that gives absolute, absolute victory, but we get it. So get this. It's the picture. The picture is you as a king, as, as the king's ambassador, going with the good news message that the king has won. That's, that's the kind of the picture that we have. We have the good news message as ambassadors of the victory of the king. And we're making that proclamation. We're announcing that victory to the POWs prisoners of war, those who are still held captive. That's all evangelism and missions is. That's all. They're the POWs. God's going to free them, He has the victory. We just get to make the announcement, right? That's a good deal. We have victory promised, we have protection promised. And all we have to do is obediently make the announcement. That's pretty good. It's the best deal on earth. And we have it. So this victory is great. The calling is great. The calling is made to heaven to rejoice. He he steps out and says that in verse 12. This calling of ours, this announcement, this victory is so great that he begins to call on even the heavens. He says, therefore, in verse 12, rejoice, O heavens, O heavens. And you who dwell in them. So even the heavens must declare the glory of God. As I said, this this victory doesn't always mean massive number of converts either. God's not promising that we're going to have a massive number of people fill this auditorium next week. Maybe he will. As we announce the victory. We pray for that. We ask God for the opportunities, and he will bring the harvest, and we pray to the Lord of the harvest for it. But it simply means we will bear the testimony of God, and he will use that testimony for his purposes. Now John's kind of straddling the line between the here and the now, and this passage of Scripture is, you you look at it and you see he's talking about the past, he's talking about the present, he's talking about the future, and he's always right there, and that's where we are too. We We have been redeemed, we are being redeemed, and we will be redeemed. And we we understand history from this same line that we live on. The church triumphant. That's what we have to look forward to. But right now, we're the church militant. And I'm not talking about taking up arms against people, but I'm talking about the spiritual warfare that God has called us to. But it also means that sometimes we will be facing suffering. Suffering chapter 12, verse 13 through 17. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and a half time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep away her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his lips, from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went out off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sands of the sea. We are set apart to suffering. We're set apart to protection and provision and victory. Well, how can you say that we're also set apart to suffering? Because for a time, we are going to face that. Does it mean that we still don't have the protection and the provision that God promises? And ultimately the victory. But it does mean we're going to face circumstances that are difficult. And as it pictures this, Satan turns his efforts toward all of her offspring, trying to attack, trying to conquer, trying to overcome. I know that's not encouraging, but it's reality. The encouraging part is that he promises to be with us. The encouraging part we see in Isaiah. Let me see if I put that up there. No, I didn't. Okay, Turn to Isaiah 40,28 through31. As we think about this woman who's given these wings to take her out, wings kind of like an eagle, Have you heard that before? Isaiah chapter 40 verses 28. Have you not known, Have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God? the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. To him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. Read this last verse with me. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. What a beautiful promise to carry us through the suffering that we might face. In verse 15 through 16, we saw that Satan tries to flood the earth. Some say that this is a uh, just a, a, an outreach of aggression against the church. Some say that this is deceptive words that are flowing out of his mouth to over the truth to to pollute the truth to corrupt the truth but even in that effort he is defeated the earth swallows those things and the word of truth is held high just a side note this is kind of a contrast against the river of life that flows from the throne later on just a couple of chapters Verse 17, though he can't defeat the church, he continues, never conceding, always striking out against the followers of Christ. From this point, I want to look at the end vision. I want to skip a few chapters ahead, but for, before I do, I want to read Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. You've read this one before, it's a beautiful picture of the end vision. After this I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Verse 10 and crying out with a loud voice salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the things that are going on here John skips from, I I want us to skip over a couple of chapters to chapter 15 and see another picture of this end game, the, the final picture that describes what the triumphant church is going to look like. This is another reason for us to do evangelism and missions. Because that's, remember, the only reason we're still here and we're not in Revelation 15 yet is because we have a duty unto God to proclaim the truth until it's the time for these things to take place. So Revelation 15, verses one through four. Then I saw another sign in heaven. This is why I'm skipping ahead. He's seen this first sign of the woman, the sign of the dragon. We skip ahead to this sign. I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. That's in Exodus Exodus 14 or 15 somewhere around in there the song of Moses the servant of God and the song of the lamb saying great and amazing are your deeds o lord god almighty just and true are your ways o king of the nations who will f- who will not fear o lord and glory glorify your name for you alone are holy all nations will come and worship you for your righteous acts have been revealed. What a picture of the end. For one thing, we get harps. That's pretty cool. Do you know how to play a harp? No? You will one day. <laughs> so will I. We get harps. We play this song this song that names a, a threefold reason to fear God because He alone is holy, because all the nations are coming to His, to, in front of Him to stand in front of Him and worship because of His righteous deeds being revealed. Note in verse 4 that it's to the glory of His name. Again, His name will be glorified. And where will we be but standing on the shore of a glassy, fiery sea singing the song of Moses' redemption that comes after the crossing of the sea. And as they finished and they got to the the foot of the mountain of God and they began to sing out this praise of redemption because God had just delivered them from their slavery when we get on the other side, when He carries us through, we will stand on the shore and we will sing of the redemption that He has brought us from and through. That's the final picture. We're set apart to share the whole story because we're going to sing of all of His glory we're set apart for that purpose. We might as well start doing it now. We might as well start revealing his glory now. We bear testimony to the revelation of Jesus Christ. Not trying to convince people to, to come and, and, and accept a loving God and, and add Jesus to your life because he's good and, and he'll make your life better and you'll just have everything you could ever want or imagine but because the only way to escape the wrath of God that should rightly be poured out against you is through the blood that was shed for you. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the song we will sing, so we might as well sing it now. We we are set apart to share as instruments for the gathering of the nations. So how will we do this? how are we supposed to do this that's where i wanted us to come tonight to this part we've talked all week about the motivation for missions we've talked all week about what he's called us to do so i want you to talk to me now i've done enough talking some of you've already shared this week little things that you're doing with neighbors with friends with coworkers but Where do we go from here if we're called to be a reflection of the image of God? And we know that we're going to end up on the other side standing on the shore singing his praise.